Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We are in a series of rebuilding, 52 days of rebuilding with Nehemiah. Why 52? It's because Nehemiah and the people of Israel took 52 days to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And as I read through the book, I just want to give you some context about what was happening. You know, Israel was God's chosen people set apart for God's work to be a light among the nations. They had a very special relationship with God and they were appointed to worship him in a proper way and they had a temple and they had sacrifices, but they didn't always obey God. Even though they had everything going for them, they had the promised land, they had signs, wonders, miracles, they had blessing upon blessing, they decided to worship other gods and God hates that. It's in his Ten Commandments. Don't worship any other gods. And so God punished Israel, and they, uh, they were led into exile, into captivity by the Babylonians, where they were separated from their family. Uh, a good portion of them went to Babylon. Many stayed behind. There was intermarriage. There was mixing among the peoples. It wasn't a good sight. But after 70 years, God's mercy and his grace allowed them to return to the promised land. And this is where we pick up the book of Nehemiah. Jer- uh, the city of Jerusalem was in, in ruins. I mean, you read the first chapter and it says that the walls were rubble, the houses were destroyed. But Nehemiah, as a good leader, he was able to raise the funds. He was able to get the people behind him, and they were able to do what seemed to be impossible. And they raised the walls in 52 days, hung all the doors, and that is part of God's plan. He wanted to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He also wanted to rebuild the temple and and put back the order of sacrifice and worship But God wasn't done there. God ultimately wants to rebuild the people of God. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today because rebuilding the people is pretty much the most important thing because you can't have a a good country, you can't have a good city uh, if you don't have good people. And that's what God wanted to do. He wanted to rebuild his people. Yes, it was important for God that the people were safe, so let's build walls, let's build homes, let's uh, establish businesses. God is is concerned with providing for the families of Israel, but then also he wants to rebuild them and rebuild them spiritually. So we're going to read the first three verses of Nehemiah chapter 8. They're going to be on the screens. This is an exciting portion of scripture. I'm so glad that Dan and Mandy are on a cruise and I get to be here with all of you. But here it is, Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. 
So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. This is such a great portion of scripture as the people are preparing to have a wonderful, very long service, uh, and they sent out the invites. They knew what day, they knew where they were going to meet in this city, in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, The walls are finished right in front of the water gate. I don't know why they chose that place, but maybe because there were going to be thousands upon thousands of people there, which The scripture says all the men, all the women, and everyone who could understand were going to meet there. And so that's where they were. Possibly there was great acoustics there because they didn't have a sound system, but they made preparations and there they were at the Watergate. Not to be confused with like, you know, 1972 Watergate uh, scandal, but this is the Watergate in Jerusalem. And they, it says that they met at the time of daybreak. I was trying to figure out, uh, you know, when is that sunrise? And that year, at that the seventh month and the first day was at 7.17 a.m. But daybreak actually means when the first, you know, ray of sunshine comes over the horizon. So maybe six something all the way till noon. So there they were listening to the word of God for five to six hours. And it says that it was the book of the law of Moses. And that refers to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you read all five of those books, you know how long it would take? In English, reading out loud, 13 and a half hours. So we know he didn't read all five of those books. He probably read a portion or maybe he read the book of Deuteronomy, which takes Two and a half hours. But just imagine yourself, if you were Ezra, reading for two and a half hours so thousands and thousands of people could hear you and see you. I bet there was, you know, some breaks, some logistical breaks, you know, some water breaks, some bathroom breaks, a little snack break. And so they were, uh, he was able to use his voice to project in such a way that the people could understand. And it says that everyone who could understand were there and they were listening. They had a desire to listen to the word of God. And that's exactly how God rebuilds his people. He uses the word of God. And they chose Ezra. He was a priest. He was also a scribe. A scribe is somebody who copies the book of the law. And so he knew the the word of God very well. So they chose him and they said, hey, you get up there you read for two and a half hours. We don't know how, this, how long this service is going to be, but you get up there and the people were there united. It says that they were one. Last week, the missionary was here. Wasn't that awesome that she got to share and she actually shared from Nehemiah chapter five and there was a lot of diversity, you know, amongst the people of Israel, a lot of, you know, mixed uh, religions, mixed um, marriages. There were people from different countries countries. We know that there was people from different cultural backgrounds, educational backgrounds, and the people who came from exile, they're hearing for, from the word of God for the very first time. So this was extremely important for the people of God to be trained up in the word of God. And there they were listening attentively to what Ezra's words. Then look at verse five. It says, Ezra 
opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So Ezra's up on this platform that they built and they put, you know, some Levites, some other uh, people of God alongside of him. And he's, he, he gets up there and he opens up the book. And it's not like a book that you fold open, but it's more like a scroll. And then the people stood up. It's kind of cool that they gave reverence to the book of God, not to the man of God. And, you know, John said, you know, Tonto's the greatest, whatever. But the word of God, this is the most important factor in what we do here tonight. It's all about the word of God. And these people stood up as he opened the book of God. And then as he's reading, Ezra starts to praise the Lord. And all of a sudden he's saying, the great God, we're gonna praise him and it becomes contagious and all the people are praising the Lord. And I'm just so thankful that um, we are part of a church that lifts up the name of Jesus. We praise him. We lift up our souls to him, our voices to him. And out of the 16 Sunday services that we have every single month, sometimes I experience like a service a little bit different. Sometimes, you know, is the Holy Spirit, you know, thicker in this service than in the other service? I mean, uh, what did the worship band do that was different? Uh, what is going on? Why is my experience different from one service to the other? Why does it seem that some services, it becomes contagious and it just, it just spreads like wildfire and people are just praising the Lord at the top of their lungs and losing their voices and bowing down and worshiping him? And this is a question that I'm not asking you, and I don't even have the answer to. Actually, I asked Pastor Dan, you know, he's the worship pastor. He got a master's degree. He probably should know a little bit about that. And every time I talk to him, hey, I'm like, Dan, Dan, was this service a little bit different? Like, like what happened? Did you guys feel something a little bit different? And he's like, no, it's, just, it's the same. You know, he's not downplaying, uh, you know, what, what God was doing, but he's just downplaying what they were doing. And it, it almost seems like this, if the worship is to the Lord, the Lord receives it. The worship is not about us. And so it's like, am I doing something differently? Is something different in my heart that I had a different experience with God? But here in this worship service, it was contagious. All the people started to praise the Lord and they bowed down. They got on their knees. They put their face, they put their mug in the rug, even though they didn't have a rug, but they put their faces down on the ground and they worshiped the Lord. And they were saying, amen, amen. That just means, so be it. Amen. Everything that you're saying, Ezra, everything that you're reading to us from the book of the Lord, you know what? Let it be. We come in agreement with that. That is truth, and we want that for our lives. And it just turned into a Holy Spirit miracle rally. They're just totally praising the Lord. And that was an amazing response of God's people. And that's how he rebuilds people with the word of God, with the praise to God, being united with the people of God. They bow down and worshiped him. And look at verse seven and eight. The Levites, 
I'm not going to read the names of the Levites. They, all 13 of them have great names. If you're looking for a name for your son or grandson or somebody else, look no further than Nehemiah chapter 8. But these Levites instructed the people in the law while the people, people were standing there. So what's happening? Ezra takes his break from reading and then they go into praise mode and everyone's bowing down and then they go about the Levites. These were, uh, this was a special tribe of God set apart by God to serve the people of God and they were going around and having like a small group. They went to different tables and they started to instruct the people in the word of God. It's one thing to hear the word of God, which is extremely important because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But then also in James, it says, we're not, we shouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we should also be doers. How would the people know what to do if somebody did not instruct them? So the Levites are going around into small groups and instructing the people in God's word. And this was extremely important. It's extremely important for you and I to be instructed in God's word. I want to share uh, just, I always share my testimony, so I'm sorry if you heard it for like 10 times already. It's just, but it's kind of important to me, you know, going from death to life, becoming saved. I was lost. I was lost in my sin, and I, I was living in I was 18 years old, living in San Diego, California, and I was searching for truth. I knew that there was some sort of higher power. I was all into this, like, you know, new age stuff. I, I didn't know what was truth. It was crazy. I, came, I flew here for a funeral, ended up in my hometown of beautiful Greenfield, Wisconsin. But at this funeral, there was a person who took me into his car. Okay, so I was 18. He was, he was my older cousin, so it wasn't like a kidnapping, but he took me and he said, listen to this. And he started sharing with me from the word of God. And he had all these verses highlighted and he's like, I want you to read it. And now that I, you know, now that I look back, it's not just by hearing the word of God, but if you speak the word of God, there's some power in it. I didn't really understand what I was reading in the book of Romans and, you know, Romans 3.23 and 6.20 and, and, and then John 3.16. And he's explaining, he's explaining what I was reading to myself. And he started explaining to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was explaining that there is good news. And even though I was lost in my sin, there is hope. And I, God wants to save me. His desire is that I follow him. And then he invited me to say a simple prayer, and I repeated after him, and it's the sinner's prayer, and I didn't know even how to pray, and so I was glad that he was leading me through it. And I said the simple prayer, I opened up my eyes, and you know what? I was a new creation. I, I could totally tell that, yes, if you wanna clap, that's, that's amazing. That's the work of God. But I understood that I was a new creation and the old things have passed away and I could see with spiritual eyes. And my cousin, who is the only born again Christian that I've ever met in my life up until that day, he gave me two instructions. Go, he said, here's this Bible. And I actually, this is the actual Bible. And, and it's all crusty because it ended up in the Pacific Ocean a couple times. I went, I forgot it was in my shorts. I went swimming with it. And, and then, and I thought the date actually got like uh, erased, but he wrote the date, July 20th, 1998. And then my son actually found it. It wasn't 
the first page. I thought it was like, oh, it's all white. But he, it's actually like the 10th page in, he wrote the date. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. How did that happen? But this is the Bible, and he told me to read the word of God. If I was going to be faithful to God, I would need to read this. And he said, go back to San Diego and find a church that teaches the word of God. Just do those two things. And so I was obedient, and I started reading my Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You know, that's where I got lost. I'm like, I can follow the Gospels. I can follow, follow the history book. But Romans is like systematic theology. It's like theological doctrines that I have no idea. I don't even understand. Uh, I didn't understand Romans. And then I'm like, you know what? I should probably do the second, you know, action step, which is go to a church and, you know, Back then, back then, back in the 90s, there was no internet. It's like, we got a yellow pages, right? And I'm like, I don't even know what to, I don't even know what to look for. How about I just go to the church down the street that has a cross on it? So I went to that local Presbyterian church and, you know, it's, so there's like 80 people there. And uh, just so you know, I was like really shy, like totally introverted. Like I didn't, I wasn't interested in meeting people. I mean, just like, I'm just shy. I just, I got my bubble. That's who I am. Going to a church was a huge leap of faith, but I knew it was imperative if I was going to obey God. I didn't even understand this book, only the, you know, some of the stories of Jesus. But then I get to this church and I would just, you know, come in, back row, leave, you know, before anybody can talk to me because that's how scared I was, like totally introverted. But then, you know, the pastor, there's only 80 people in there. So he kind of caught on and you know like by week five he he did he pulled this like trick he had somebody else pray and then he was at the door and then um and so I had to talk to him and so you know we're we're, we're I met the second Christian that I've ever met in my entire life and uh, we had a nice conversation and he said may God bless you in every way and I'm like okay thank you I mean I never was in I was never in contact with Christians before, and then I start walking, walking away, and I just start bawling, and I'm like, I can't believe they said that to me. I'm like, that's so beautiful. Like, nobody's ever said anything like that to me, and, and then, you know, God was working in my life, and I was invited to a different church um, by one of my coworkers. Uh, she was my age, and she said, this this. This uh, church is on a college campus, you know, people your age, um, this is really powerful. You just need to come to this church. And I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. And, and even though there was like tons of people, like, you know, thousands of people, it's like, this is easier because I can kind of like sneak in and sneak out. No one will see me because it's not the 80 person church. It's like, this is much easier. But they kept on saying the same thing. They had people at the door. They're like, come into our discipleship, uh, our discipleship group. You need a discipleship group. You need a discipleship group. And then you need to go to a small group, a small group. And, you know, the announcements, the pastor, the people at the door, I'm like, just leave leave me alone. And I thought it was almost a conspiracy theory because uh, people kept coming around me like outside of church, like telling me the same thing. And I'm like, these people need to leave me alone. I'm just like so shy. I don't want to go to this, this group, you know, this discipleship class. But anyway, I ended up going there and they're teaching me about God's word. I'm like, oh, things are making sense. This is practical to me. 
this is pretty good. But then they start, you know, but it's a smaller group. It's like they can, they can zero in on you and like talk to you and like come up to you. And, and so these people are saying the same thing, you know, by the end of this five-week discipleship group, you're going to become, you're going to be going to a small group. I'm like, over my dead body, right? Uh, remember, I only had two instructions. Go, you know, read the Bible and find a church, not go to somebody's house. And, and sure enough, I ended up at this person's house for a Bible study, and it was like the most amazing experience I've ever had, and I've met for the first time. Remember, I only had like two Christian people that I've ever encountered, but through that church that they were so proactive, reaching out to me, trying to to get me into these classes, and then ultimately into this small group where, where, hey, it was just normal people like you know, you and not me, I'm not normal, but you know, you and me, just normal people talking about God's word, praising God and, and, you know, teaching each other about God's word. And I think about what ministry is all about. It's not just about one person, you know, doing all the talking. It's, it's, you know, I need you and you need me, and that is the church. That is the body of Christ. We all have these diverse gifts and talents, and, you know, you want to talk about diversity. None of us are exactly the same kind of person. God has wired us totally different, but with the same purpose to edify one another, and that is what we do every Every time we meet together, every time we sit at a table, every time we have a conversation, we should be edifying one another. And so that is just my little story of how I was forced into a small group and being able to to learn. And just going back to our story, they use small groups to teach the word of God. Yes, it was corporate worship. It was corporate reading of God's word. But then they broke it down into small groups to contextualize what it means for us today. And I hope you are doing that. I hope you're, you're doing that in your conversations. I hope you're doing that, you know, amongst your family, bringing God's word into your daily lives. And that is one of the biggest evangelism tools that I have ever used. I mean, sharing the gospel, yes, that's the most powerful thing, but just sharing with people how God is intertwined in my life. And for them, it's intertwined, but God is my everything. So I'm going to bring him into every conversation in every area of my life. And so when I'm talking with others, it's just like a natural thing. Hey, I'm going to talk about God. I'm going to talk about his word. I'm going to talk about why I do certain things and why I don't do certain things based on the word of God. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, let us consider together how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We firmly believe in church attendance. It's so important. It's not so you can put another check in your, I did my church for today, but it's so important for your spiritual growth. God wants to build up your life. He wants to grow your faith. He wants to grow you in the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to make you a powerful man and woman in, God, in his word. And that comes through meeting together, worshiping him corporately, understanding the scriptures, uh, teaching the scriptures. I'm a firm believer that all of us should have a Paul and a Timothy. 
Paul is the apostle Paul. Paul discipled Timothy. He trained him in the work, in life, in ministry, and in missions. And we should always have a Paul in our, in our lives. So the question is, who is teaching you? Who is teaching you the word of God? Who is, you know, further in their walk with the Lord? Who has more experience? Who is who is teaching you? And then the question is, who is your Timothy? Who is your disciple Who are you training in the word of God? I kid you not, I'm walking into the gym and I heard a young couple, like me, I'm just gonna put myself in that category. No, um, you know, and she was telling him, you don't have any friends, you know, to the husband. And I'm like, and for some reason I was just there and I was just thinking about this, like dudes, American dudes don't have friends. Like, we're just so busy. We got all this stuff going on. We have busy lives. They have young kids. I have young kids. It's so hard to, to connect with a bunch of guys to talk about this, this, the word of God. It's like, in, earlier today, somebody invited me to a Bible study at 6 p.m. on Thursday nights. It's like, um, like in 10 years when my youngest is like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, let's talk about this in the 30s. In the 30s, okay? We're in the 20s. In the 30s, I'm available for your Bible study in the evening. But we gotta, we gotta be creative and think outside the box. Our, what are we doing to connect with one another? I think, you know, parts of the pandemic were amazing. We were able to connect online, virtually. Uh, our phone, conver- you know, our minutes went up and we were able to connect with people. But why don't you think outside the box? We have a wonderful men's Bible study in that room right over there at 6 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. You want to come? You want to come on 6 a.m.? That's great. For some, that's too late. They need to go to work earlier. We'll start a Bible study at 5 a.m. That's more my time. 6 p.m., my wife would kill me. She would say, you're going to a Bible study? Forget that. And, um, and, and I just want to apologize if I'm like kind of pushy with some of you, and I don't mean to be pushy. That's not, uh, you know, the style of ministry that I want to, to do, but sometimes I forget if I've asked you like six or seven times if you're in the Discover class, did you go through Discover? Are you in a small group? Are you coming on church to Wednesdays? I'm sorry. I just, it's just my, my spiritual life grew when somebody was like asking me, asking me, asking me, asking me. So I do apologize if uh, I'm asking you that, but I will use this opportunity to ask you. Are you did you guys go through Discover class? If not, on the first Sunday of every month, we would love for you to, be, to participate in a class. And that is the first of many classes that you could take to learn the Word of God right here on Sunday mornings, or there are plenty of opportunities in Bible studies. But let's go to verse 9. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. I think this is powerful because the people started praising God. It started with Ezra. After reading, it went to praise, and it was contagious. Everyone was praising. And then as they understood the scriptures through the Levites who were teaching them, then 
somebody started crying, right? And then that became contagious. And then everyone was crying. And it was just like this, this, this whole, you know, service of people crying. And I just think about the word of God and how he uses his word so we can know him more. And we know about his characteristics, his attributes. We learn about his holiness, his power, his majesty, his great love. And in light of who he is, then we look at ourselves and we, we understand that we fall short of that. We are nothing like that. And in fact, the word sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark. And if there was a target, God would be that perfect center bullseye and everything but that perfection is missing the mark. And that's what we have done. We missed the mark. And the people saw that. They saw that they have screwed up and that they have fallen short of the glory of God. And that caused them to start weeping and mourning and crying out loud that the service was getting out of hand, just like just everyone's crying. And, and I think this is pretty biblical to, under, to look at God as a holy, just God and to look at ourselves as, you know what, I, I have a lot of work to do. And even in, in the word of God in other occasions, I, I think of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was God's prophet, God's messenger, set apart to speak the oracles of God. And he was, he was somebody that had a vision of God. He saw the Lord seated high and lifted up. And what did he say in Isaiah 6? He said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people that are unclean. Even this man of God said about himself, I'm a sinner compared to who he is. I saw the Lord. And I think about Peter, the, one of the future, he was going to be a future leader of the church, Peter. This is Peter who understood that Jesus was the Messiah. What did he say in Luke 5, 8? He said, get away from me because I am a sinner. And that is, that is a, a godly biblical reaction when we understand who God is. But God, God's plan doesn't allow us to camp out and stay in a mourning state. He wants us to realize, yes, we are in need of a Savior, but he wants to be that Savior. And he wants to turn things around. And that's what Jesus does for you and I when he comes in when he comes on the scene, when he comes into your life, all of you have a testimony of how Jesus came in and he turned things around. He turned your mourning into praise and into rejoicing. That is a work of God. There is a way out. You don't have to live in your sin. He didn't create you to continue that way and to be sorrowful the rest of your life. He created you to have the joy of the Lord. He created you to walk with him. And in fact, in verse 10, it says, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that amazing? 
God's plan is not for you to continue in, in sorrow and crying and, and weeping, but he wants you to live in the joy of the Lord because that is where your strength is. I, I really like, um, you know, learning more about things like happiness and, you know, enjoy, like, let's pretend just for a moment that uh, we're not in Nehemiah 8.10, but I, I like study these things like, um, you know, how can I be more happier? How can, I, how can I elevate my state of happiness? So using like psychology and physiology and, you know, you can do things with your body and do certain exercises to get you all ramped up so you can be happy the rest of the day. Uh, one of the things that I like is three minutes in front of a mirror smiling you get your muscles working and you get to smile and you just look at yourself for three minutes. You know, they say three minutes a day keeps the frown away. So you can practice that. You can practice, you know, breathing exercises, getting certain uh, levels of oxygen into your brain, into your bloodstream, and you can kind of create this happiness state for yourself. But you know, you can do anything under the sun, but that is all temporary. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that that remains forever and ever and ever and ever. And it doesn't matter what is going on in your life. You could, you know, your world could be caving in and you could still have the joy of the Lord in your life. It's not about the condition of your life. It's about your position, your identity in Christ. He saved you. He redeemed you. He wrote your book in the, in the, in the, in the he wrote your name in the book of life. I mean, you have eternal hope, eternal purpose. I mean, he has every, he has set the stage for you to have an abundant life, a victorious life in Jesus Christ. And not to say that you're not going to have, you know, upset failures, um, you know, sad days. But if you have a sad day, just do the three minutes like me. It's all good, you know, three minutes. And, um, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. And joy is, is, it continues. It doesn't matter what is happening. And then the strength is a place of security. And that's where God wants all of his children. It's not just because there's walls around us and we feel safe physically, but spiritually he is building a people that put their faith in him, their trust in him, and he's protecting them. And the joy comes because we have peace with God. I don't... You know, you could have plenty of enemies here on this planet, but just to, I want you to be encouraged. You can have peace with God. And that is, that, that is joyful. That is amazing. Your relationship with him can be restored. It could be, you know, it could be changed forever by accepting Jesus Christ. And so I just think of this passage and how it encourages us to be built up in the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says that all scripture is inspired by God and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, uh, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God can be fully equipped for every good work. I don't know exactly what God has called you to do. You have a task at hand. You have a purpose. But God wants you to use his word to equip you, to, to help you. And he wants to be with you. And when we think about rebuilding people, this is, this is how we rebuild our lives. It's on the word of God. And I would like to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you that... Your word says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God 
and the word was God. And when we go to your word, you are revealing yourself to us. So I'm so thankful that all of these scriptures, all everything that we've been reading tonight, Old Testament, New Testament, is inspired by you and is useful for us to build us up. And I just pray for your people right now. I pray for their lives, that they would be rebuilt upon your word. I pray that they would have Paul's and Timothy's in their lives. I pray that they would study your word, be joyful in your word. I pray that they would their, their reading would turn to praise and their praise would turn to mourning. And then quickly it would turn to the joy of the Lord because that is their strength. Thank you, O Lord, for what you have uh, been teaching us. And and, uh, thank you for this opportunity to simply be here and open up your word. And I just pray for the conversations at the tables that that are going to take place. I pray that you would bless those conversations, that you would be amongst your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.